And welcome back to the Dynamic Nonprofits Podcast, your home for groundbreaking discussion within the nonprofit sector. And um, we wanted to laser focus in on today on um, probably the top issue that's on the uh, the mind of most fundraisers, certainly any fundraiser that's in the orbit of direct mail. And that is the situation with uh, uh, paper shortage and supply chain issues, which are affecting everyone's direct mail planning. And uh, we wanted to uh, bring on an expert who um, knows the space just as well as anyone, get a real experienced voice in here for um, a really well-rounded perspective. And that's why I'm so glad that Dean Hart, um, president at MWI Direct, has agreed to uh, join us today. Uh, and we're please, very pleased to welcome to the show right now, Dean Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today, and uh, it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Dan. I'm glad to be here. Well, uh, before we get into talking about um, the paper issues, supply chain issues, and um, really getting into root causes here to help um, fundraisers um, understand what's happening so that they can plan around them for the future and uh, maybe make some adjustments uh, to their fundraising plans moving forward. Uh, We want to first get to know a little bit about you and your story in the sector. Um, You have been doing this for the better part of three decades. Would you mind sharing your story about how you got into the business and uh, how you uh, got to where you are today? I'd be happy to, Dan. Thank you. Um, So like you had mentioned, uh, I own uh, and the president of MWI Direct. MWI Direct is a direct marketing, direct mail execution company. So we're kind of the back office for a lot of the nonprofits that we support. And so our job is obviously to um, take those art and data files and uh, manufacture all the necessary components, do all of the um, quote unquote heavy lifting uh, and produce the product and get it into the mail. So, you know, uh, it's kind of a turnkey execution uh, company and nonprofits is by far and away our largest uh, vertical that we work with. We have a few others, retail, uh, technology, financial services, but probably 70% of what we do is in the nonprofit space. So we'd like to think we're pretty good at it. I mean, because it's something that we're in and we're working across, you know, quite a few different nonprofits. So literally they would number in the hundreds of the different nonprofits that we do execution for. So, um, Personally, um, like you'd mentioned, I've been at this for about 30 years. I started and where I've always been kind of closely tied to, but my first job out of college was with uh, working for a paper merchant representing several different large paper mills. So paper has kind of always been uh, near and dear to me just because it's where I got my start. Um, It's also an integral part of our process, our raw materials, and more specifically the paper that we use is extremely important. Um, it's, it's hand and glove. Without the product, the, the raw material, the paper, there is no print, there is no direct mail packages to send out. So, um, you know, in a nutshell, that's really kind of my story. I've been in, you know, I uh, went to work for this company 30 plus years ago and acquired it about, oh, 29 years ago. So, um, uh, you know, it's what I do. It's what I love. It's what I've been in for a long time. And, and, um, you know, certainly the last two years have proven to be 
uh, a whole host of different challenges. And I think, you know, kind of explaining those and trying to figure out where we go from here is a big part of, you know, hopefully what we can accomplish today. And before we get into it, um, I, I'm curious to get your take because I, I see that um, paper is is a little bit like list work in that most mailers don't think a whole lot about their data or how they get their paper unless there's a, a problem. And um, how do you, I mean, how does it feel at this point in the industry to have such a spotlight focused in on what you do and, and all of your knowledge that you've acquired uh, over the years and just so much interest in what goes into producing paper? Um, do you think, is it, is it a positive that, that mailers and vendors are having to learn so much more about what goes into the process of, of creating paper and getting it supplied for their mailings? Or uh, do you wish that you didn't have the spotlight under the circumstances that we find ourselves in right now? You know, I, I don't believe it's a benefit for our clients to have to manage or worry about the raw material sourcing for their programs. That's our job. And for many, many, many years, it's never, it's really been more of an afterthought. Um, and by that, I mean, it's just the availability, the supply has always been very, very stable, um, you know, and we've been able to source any material we needed for any clients uh, with, with a reasonable amount of lead times. We didn't ever make it an issue because um, it's just, you know, a marketer has plenty to worry about than their vendor sourcing of raw materials. And so it's just been kind of something that we did, you know, we do inventory management, there are seasonal spikes, but by and large, paper and paper availability and paper pricing have been very stable for many, many years. Um, this is kind of new frontier for us and for our clients because it's incumbent of us to keep our clients up to date on what is going on because the challenges that we're facing are very real. And this becomes much more a collaborative uh, effort with our clients because it's going to affect the timing of their programs, the type of programs they can run, the volumes of the programs, and all of those things that go into it. So it's now front and center, which I, I certainly wish wasn't the case. And would you mind just kind of, uh, I'm sure most of our listeners are aware of the uh, production delays and supply issues, but can you kind of just give us a general state of where we're at with paper availability and timelines and, and also um, uh, give us a little bit of insight of what has gone into creating uh, the situation that we find ourselves in right now with paper availability? I'd be happy to. Without getting too far into the weeds, I would say there's been a lot of factors that kind of had got us to where we're at right now. Um, you know, the backstory is for several years, probably 10 to 15 years, paper manufacturing in the U.S. has declined. Uh, the demand has gone down. The amount of available uh, tons that are being produced every year has gone down. And so we've had mill closures. We've had mill consolidations. All those things um, are, re, you know, are what the paper mills would do to react to demand as demand goes down. Um, then, of course, they're going to react accordingly. And so closers, consolidations, and basically just less paper being made in the market uh, in the United States has um, kind of set the table for this. Um, so coming out of the pandemic of 2020, 
uh, the demand for the product skyrocketed. You know, a lot of marketers, a lot of people were shut down. A lot of people um, were impacted by this. And coming out of 2020, um, we saw pretty much across the board um, double-digit increases um, from across almost all of our clients that we serve, uh, wanting to produce more and you know, having reestablished their uh, marketing efforts or whatever their appeal initiatives, those types of things. So that's put an extraordinary amount of pressure on a. Uh, it doesn't take many percentage points of demand to go up to upend the market, since we have so few paper manufacturers left in the United States. Um, so once that demand came, it really started to squeeze the capacity that was out there to produce. Uh, a lot of paper mills uh, relied heavily on existing inventory to kind of hit that initial wave. Once that existing inventory was gone, now they're down to just what they can produce. And that's what's established these longer backlogs, um, uh, price escalations. So there's been a lot of price pressures. Uh, the price of pulp has gone up dramatically. The price of energy has gone up. The price of labor has gone up. So you know that certainly has pushed the price side. Uh, transportation costs have skyrocketed. So, but as far as the actual capacity, they they didn't have a lot of wiggle room in the system to ramp up. Um, paper mills, it's, it's, it's a very large operation and trying to expand capacity just does not happen in short order. It takes a long time to increase capacity. A paper machine you know, has a limitation on what it can produce. And there just are a lot fewer in the United States now than there were before. So, and, and I think that's an important discussion point because um, I think, we're familiar with the dynamic in the supply chain coming out of the pandemic that basically you had a global economy that shut down and now it's restarting. It's trying to catch up the capacity and it's impacting all kinds of goods and services um, in terms of availability. And the assumption is with a lot of it is that um, eventually this will work itself out, whether it's in six months or 12 months. But in talking to you, one of the things that I discovered is that a lot of the issues that we're seeing with paper supply have actually been years in the making. So some of this is certainly due to the pandemic, um, but a lot of it is also structural issues with um, paper mills that are that have switched to making uh, corrugated products for shipping for companies such as Amazon. So there, as you said, there really wasn't a lot of wiggle room in the process. So it's not like any other widget where you can just increase capacity to meet this demand surge that we're seeing. Correct. There wasn't a lot of idle capacity laying out there that they could just quickly bring back online and start producing paper. That just wasn't out there. A lot of the closings and consolidations and conversions have gone to the packaging side where the demand is spiked. Um, you know, so that kind of puts a premium on paper. The other thing, Dan, is we generally rely quite a bit on uh, getting uh, raw materials or paper from overseas, whether that's Asia, whether that's China. There's a whole number of sources that we're accustomed to getting a significant portion of our paper from uh, to help offset what, you know, what capacity is made here in the US. Um, and those sources have actually um, not been available to us in the last year because of cost of transportation. Container costs have, you know, gone up tenfold in the last year. So it makes it very, no longer lucrative to ship it into this country because of the cost of 
shipping and then throw on top of that all the logistics issues with getting it in a timely manner. So one, the cost is no longer a benefit. And two, the time it takes to get it, you just don't have any predictability. And so you know, we can't make plans based on that. So that source is really not available at all um, at this point in time. Over time, that should change, but, you know, not today. So, you know, it's kind of the, it is truly the perfect storm for our raw material sourcing that we've just never encountered many of these factors. Um, and then the other one that we're bumping up against, once we are able to secure it and kind of touch it, we have to get it transported and the transportation sector has really been uh, crippled. You know, the demand again has put a premium on all the logistics, the trucking, the transportation. It, you could have paper ready at a mill and it take still takes six weeks to get it to you because there's not a lot of trucks available to come pick it up and make that last, you know, the delivery part of it. So, you know, there's just a lot of things we're managing that, I said it are relatively new, but it's our job to kind of do our best and to try to be real smart about what we're forecasting, how much lead time is required, what allocations we're going to be allowed to get. There are certain types of paper we're allocated for. There are some we are not. And so, you know, all that means we just need to communicate and over communicate with our customers. You know, they don't want to be in the middle of this, but I, it would be we wouldn't be doing our jobs if we weren't being very upfront and letting them know the challenges that are out there. And because lead times have gone from historically, you can get anything in three to four weeks. Now we're seeing things in three to four to five, and in some cases, six months um, lead times. So we have to kind of be communicating about programs in the first quarter of 2022, the second quarter, and even into the third quarter right now. Um, because we have to be able to plan ahead and allow for those times to keep them to keep the market moving. I know uh, uh, we get a lot of questions about envelope availability, and it is part of the issue there that a lot of envelopes are sourced from the same materials that are used um, for um, materials that are used for shipping, and and it's part of the issue there that. Um, the, the sourcing for that raw materials um, that that uh, envelopes in particular are competing with obviously the the growing need for um, uh, for shipping boxes and, and things like that. Um, absolutely, you know I would say that the envelope manufacturing part of it has been hit even harder than we have. Um, even though we're using similar and in some cases the same type of paper. Um, the envelope, you know, by the time you're able to secure it and the time it takes to manufacture those lead times, you know, I'm seeing it 10, 12, 14 weeks. That's from the time the order is placed. That's not when you, you know, make an inquiry. That's from the time you actually place a firm order. And that certainly creates a, you know, uh, typically you're talking two to three weeks type of a turn time. And now when you're out 10 to 12 weeks, uh, that is right now commonly what we're getting as far as lead times. And oftentimes we're getting people who just won't quote the sourcing of envelopes right at the moment because they can't, they can't control their supply. Um, the other thing is the variety of products that we typically offer clients, whether that's on what we're currently making, you know, producing for them or the type of envelopes they're buying. 
those are being greatly restricted because that's just not stuff we can get in, you know, uh, it's not plentiful right now. So if you're used to using a brown craft envelope, you're going to expect to have even longer lead times than if you were just using a, you know, white wove uh, type of product. So people may have to adjust their thinking just because of timeliness and, you know, how long that'll last, I don't know, but I would say that in the short term, trying to simplify things or consolidate programs or use more standard, more available products will help them a lot in the long run. That was my next question. Uh, um, one of the pieces of advice that I've been giving at is that this is a really good time to do an audit of your mail pieces and to talk to the providers to look at components and see what may be problematic. What can we switch out? Are there certain types of paper stop, paper stock or certain types of envelopes right now where there is a little bit more flexibility and availability compared to others uh, that mailers should be looking at uh, to prioritize in their mail pieces in the year ahead? Absolutely. You know, the, the items that are most, the, the highest tons of paper that's manufactured are always going to be in your core core group, right? So let's call it, you know, a 60 pound offset. That's the number one sold paper that the uh, paper manufacturers produce. And that one's going to have the best availability. Um, you know, that some of the other products are going to be much, much more difficult to get. But in a, you know, if you said, hey, instead of a colored offset, which is not going to be readily available right now, it's going to be very difficult to get. Um, you may want to just readjust your thinking and go with what's available and what we can get. Even that, you know, even we're allocated on everything, but, you know, that one seems to be the one we can get the most. If you're on a coded side, you know, you want to be, you know, 80 pound gloss is that volume item or a 70 mat, um, which I know we use for like newsletter campaigns for a lot of nonprofits. Um, those are the items that we're having best luck getting. If it's what I would call a one-off or something that's not used on a regular basis, those will be very, very difficult to secure, especially if you don't have a lot of history in those. Um, so what the mill's doing for all of the companies that look like ours, which are the execution companies, um, which all of our marketers use, uh, companies that look like us, um, they need to be kind of thinking about how to best get their programs completed in a timely manner, uh, maybe consolidating things that were previously match mail components, because that requires multiple components in that package. If we can streamline those, we got to, we have, you know, it'll take less raw materials and it'll be able to turn quicker. Um, so those things are just some of the things that people can adjust their programs, even in the short term. Um, I, I, like I said, it may not be ideal, but it might be the difference between getting something done in a timely manner and not getting it done. Um, so I, I think anything we can do to kind of work together with our clients and kind of say, hey, what would be the most efficient way to go with this program or this type of package we wanna do um, and getting out ahead of it early and, and having those conversations, I think is important. That's, that is an important point because um, over the last few years, the industry on, on all fundraising channels, including direct mail, has really gravitated towards this optimization mindset where you're looking to test a lot of uh, little components and changes to your mail piece to try to uh, make incremental improvements. And I mean, based on the feedback that 
um, that you're sharing, and, and that's consistent with a lot of what I've heard with, with my internal discussions, is that 2022, it really seems like it's going to be a year where mailers may not necessarily be able to mail the optimal mail piece, that they may need to look at components or how their mail is structured and um, strategize in a way that allows them to simply stay in the mail um, as opposed to uh, looking at you know things like matches or colored envelopes or craft envelopes. And um, these are things that we have uh, A-B tested out of over the years. So it really will be critical to kind of go back and reverse engineer your tests and say, well, um, are we going to take a, a 10% hit on a response rate if we go to uh, number 10 envelope? And can we absorb that? And is that better allowing us to get an extra mailing out this year than mailing the optimal mail package based on what our response data says, but maybe losing an acquisition mailing. I think those are the decisions that mailers really need to make this year. But clearly, um, I think we're at a critical point. And one of the, the founding missions of this podcast is to advocate for unsiloed fundraising or, or to connect uh, different parts of nonprofits and different parts of the industry. Um, how critical is it right now, do you think that um, for agencies, for designers to be connected with com companies like yours to get those insights? Because I imagine the last thing you'd want to do right now is design a test package and then find out that it's going to take 14 weeks to make an envelope and then you lost all of that creative time. Dan, very critically important to communicate together at this point in time. You know, I've never said don't test. Never, that words have never come out of my mouth because I'm a big believer in testing for improved results. But in 2022, um, uh, testing requires new package types or just something new that's being changed. Anything new takes longer to produce than your control package, right? Um, double down on the control, work with that. I think testing uh, is going to be more problematic this year just because um, already that we have stressed lead times on stuff that we know about, which are control packages. Test packages are just gonna add more time to the process because they're new. Um, so like I said, this is the first time in my career I, I'm saying that you know doubling down on your control package and maybe putting testing on the back burner for now um, might yield you a better result in the long run. But that's the consult, you know, we have to consult with our clients that information so they can make their decisions based on how they feel some of these performances will impact their missions. Sure. And, and one of the things that I've seen early on here is that um, mailers who have um, have kept evergreen institutional uh, type mail pieces in their plans um, over the years have a little bit of a legs, leg up because they may have package where they'll have years of results history, which makes it a lot easier to project mail quantities, results, and order months ahead of time to get paper stock if you need to do that. Um, and, and very often, those types of packages are very uh, component friendly uh, by design. They don't have a lot of flash to them. Um, I mean, based on our discussion, it, it sounds like there is a lot of uncertainty 
but it sounds like there is some certainty that this is a situation that is not going to entirely resolve in the next six to 12 months. So there has been a lot of focus in the industry on personalization, on contextualizing your mail pieces. And, and obviously we know all the, the benefits of doing that, um, of sending more personal mail, but do you think it would be a sound strategy for organizations that haven't invested a lot in institutional mail um, or evergreen mail pieces to look at testing something like that early in the first quarter, um, at least to have something that they know that they can um, that they can get the components for in a timely manner and um, almost kind of have an insurance policy in, in case uh, some of these changes are systemic in nature with, uh, with, with the timelines for getting paper and production. Yes, um, you know, some of the things that we can add value with, with our technology and our capabilities that don't require different types of package design or package raw material types is just doing that as we have the capability of driving more and more personalization content that doesn't require a raw materials change on our part right that requires us just to be able to kind of take that data rich content that you provide and be able to make it more actionable so to impact marketing pieces and performance, um, driving more personalized contact, like you had mentioned, I think is an avenue that's available to us this year, um, as opposed to doing some type of custom uh, package design, right? So this may not, like you said, this may not be the year for some exotic pack, you know, new package design. This may be the year to try to drive more content, rich information or more personalization. Um, you know, Dan, the other thing too is, is that I would counsel customers that, you know, obviously there's going to be a limitation on what we can get and get done. Obviously that's going to be pushed heavy to the donors, major donors, um, maybe some lapsed donors and, and really where you're going to have to make the tough calls probably is in the prospects. You know, what do we really want to do? If we have a limitation, it'll be, do we cut back on our prospect files? Do you know, what do we do there? We do less testing with the prospects. So um, you know, I am not an advocate of, um, you know, your donors and major donors are, are your bread and butter, right? And so we have to find ways to support them as best we can and get those um, that needed information to those people. So um, it's really maybe taking a bigger look at your prospect database and saying, hey, where do we need to go with this? With the dollars we have, with the time it takes, um, is that something we may want to cut back on for now? Right. And uh, look looking at the things that you can do to improve your mail pieces, right? Uh, using things like variable data and digital printing. And if that's going to increase the cost of your mailing, maybe focusing in on more on major or mid-level donors. And, and these are all good discussions to have with your providers because you're gonna have the historical context to, to know what you're capable of doing, um, what's not going to uh, impact the timeline, the production timeline for a mail piece, um, but also um, provide some insights into those kinds of trade-offs that if you add costs to the mail piece, maybe cutting out uh, some of the lower end donors, um, again, all in the name of trying to find the most efficient way to stay in the game in 2022 and, and, and not concede to the production issues and the supply chain issues. Uh, and the labor issues, but find a way to, to work around them. And one of the things we're trying to really drive home uh, with our content here is that there's a 
big knowledge base within the industry that can help you do exactly that. Uh, we don't necessarily have to concede to these issues and um, reduce the amount of our mail and just you know throw up our hands and say that there's nothing that could be done. It may require some creativity, but there's a lot of brain power out there and a lot of resources to help mailers uh, try to navigate the situation as as best as possible. Agreed. You know, communication and planning with all of the supply chain, so the vendors, I don't care if it's list or the execution company and the client, we all need to be communicating on what's going on. You know, outside of just the raw material sourcing, Dan, there are other factors in play. Obviously, the price is being driven. Price has gone up dramatically. You're talking about a product that never moves more than a couple percent a year. And now, in the last year, it's up over 60%. Um, that obviously impacts budgets, you know, and what you can, you know, if this may make a decision on what we can do, you know, getting the papers one thing, but what, what we can afford to send based on the cost increases. Um, so that raw material cost have gone up, but all of the input costs have gone up. You know, labor has gone up. Um, all the, everything that's an input cost has gone up in the last nine months and continues to go up. So, trying to balance that out um, is all part of the equation. You know, certainly we're experiencing the same thing a lot of people are where we, you know, labor becomes a premium. Um, you know, getting parts for equipment. <laughs> These are things we just, you know, you, something breaks, you need a part, you order the part, you get the part. Now it's on back order and they won't be able to tell you when you can get it. And having idle equipment certainly cuts into our capacity. And so those are all kind of factors that you know, quite honestly, this is just a new world we've never experienced before. Um, it's, 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 and if we're not communicating these things to our clients, we're not doing our job. None of us want to be here, but it's reality now. Yeah, there's, I'm, and as, as, as much of a tightrope as we're walking on with the supply issue now, you're right, it, it is very fragile. Um, I was surprised myself. I, I watched some video tours of uh, paper mills ahead of this conversation, and I don't even think I realized how big paper machines are. Um, some of them are the size of three or four football fields. So these are very intricate machines uh, that I imagine require all kinds of maintenance. And if, um, if the machine goes down and a part is hard to get, or you're unable to get somebody in to service the machine, there's, there's all kinds of things that could even make the situation even more complex uh, than it is now. But I guess for that reason, that's one of the reasons that I would think that we shouldn't assume that things are going to necessarily go back to normal because it's not that easy to start up a paper mill. Um, you know, one of the things we talked about is that a lot of paper mills are based in rural communities where there isn't necessarily a big labor base and um, the capital that's required. And, and it seems that it's, it's, there's more financial incentives for paper providers to be making corrugated products right now. So there's a lot of reasons it seems that um, are traditional timeline schedules may not necessarily, um, that, that we may never get back the old normal, that this may be the new normal to a certain extent. I certainly think in 2022 that what we're living through now is a, we're going to be living through in 2022. I think over time, the market will adjust. Demand may come down a little bit. Um, they're going to be able to find ways to increase some capacity. 
Um, it's just, it's, it's a slow change, but I think it's going to take most of 2022 to get that done. So I've heard some people say by midsummer um, or summer of 2022, this thing would be, I don't believe that for a minute. I think that it takes too long to get the adjustments into the system that are needed to kind of get us back. And, you know, we're going to have a new quote unquote normal, but it won't be nearly as uh, difficult as it is right now. But uh, I think things will settle down dramatically starting in 2023, probably early 2023, but uh, not in 2022. Yeah. And again, take advantage of the collective knowledge of your vendors, of the different companies that you work with, people in the industry. There is a lot of knowledge that can help you work around these issues because the last thing we want to see is mailers who do have a robust program that uh, are doing well, simply cutting back due to circumstances. I, I, I believe, and based on this discussion and others that I've had, that there are a lot of things that you can work around that may require mailing less optimal mail, but may allow you to mail at a level that you can still support your program and uh, the, your, your vendors and, and a lot of the people in the industry uh, have the historical knowledge um, to, help, to help make those changes. But certainly a lot of planning... Um, a lot of planning is required, and I think that's one thing that the sector has learned from the experience of mailing through the pandemic is the benefit of long-term contingency planning. And it probably is not a bad idea to have a discussion. You know, what if these timeline issues don't resolve for another two years? How do we look not just at 2022 but 2023 and just start that contingency planning, uh, just in case some of these factors are here to stay? Um, you know, I, I mentioned um, just how impressed I was learning about the process and the intricacies of it and the size of the equipment that's required to make paper. Um, you've been in this industry for the better part of 30 years. And um, I think a lot of people, their baseline knowledge of paper probably comes from watching The Office. I know that was, my, <laughs> that was, that was the case for me up until recently. Uh, what, would, what would you say is... Uh, would surprise people most about the process um, that goes into making paper, which so many of us uh, depend upon, uh, not just for our fundraising programs, but for our livelihoods. You know, paper making is an interesting process. It takes enormous amounts of, uh, of, of pulp trees, and it takes an enormous amount of water. So when you talk about rural communities, generally you're going to have paper mills located in a community that has an abundance of both those things. You will not see a paper company in an urban area. They just don't have the supplies close at hand that they need to produce. The size of the machines are incredible until you actually see one. I know that it's been many, many, many years since a new paper machine's been started up in North America, but the last time I saw one start up, the cost of that paper machine was in excess of a billion dollars. So it's a very capital intensive business um, they're, you know, quite honestly, their market's been depressed for some time. And so that's what's caused some of the consolidation, some of the closings, but, you know, with the resurgence and online shopping or the, the, all the new wave of online shopping, that's putting a lot more demand on corrugated products. Quite honestly, a lot of those tons, you can convert paper machines to make corrugated paper, right? And if they can make a better return for that, uh, investment in on that paper machine, they're going to do it. And that's what's happened. A lot of those tons 
that were previously used for paper have now been shifted to corrugated, um, trying to balance out the supply and demand part of you know, what we use in our products every day. So, um, but the process of making paper is really incredible, uh, just the size, the scope and the scale. And so getting that to expand isn't gonna happen overnight. Uh, there's things they can do to help themselves but a lot of it is, you know, you've got to, you know, you want to expand, you've got to have more staff to do that. And staffing all across this country is really difficult right now. So, like I said, I, that's part of why I believe it's going to take the better part of 2022 and maybe into early 23 before things start to ease a bit so that we don't have, right now, I consider this to be kind of a crisis mode because, you know, we've had to say no to a lot of programs we would have done previously. And that's nobody's best interest. So, and are there other components in the process, bleaching chemicals, anything like that, that um, people may not think about normally associated with paper that would also be contributing to price increases, uh, either due to inflation or due to demand for that specific uh, that specific product? Absolutely. You know, obviously, all their input costs. Pulp is obviously the core component of making paper, and the cost. Some paper mills buy pulp, some produce their own pulp, but the cost to acquire that, that pulp has gone up and that's their main ingredient for paper is pulp, right? So um, all those, their energy, it takes enormous amounts of energy to produce a ton of paper. And so those costs have gone up, every, just everything. And then obviously to get it from the paper mill to its end destination, the trucking and transportation costs have gone up dramatically. So it's kind of that, again, perfect storm on how you get to 60% increases in a year um, is that just the amount of input costs going up has just, you know, shocked, I think, everyone. And uh, we're uh, speaking with uh, Dean Hart, uh, who's been uh, very generous with his time, and, and we appreciate that. Uh, Dean is uh, president at MWI Direct. And Dean, as we prepare to wrap things up here, I, I just wanted to give you an opportunity. Uh, again, we talked a lot on the show about unsiloing the industry. So connecting uh, the worlds of print and digital fundraising. And I know that MWI Direct has been very innovative in how you've embraced digitization and um, the capabilities that direct mail has to, um, uh, to, to benefit um, from, from digitization. Um, I just wonder if you could just generally talk about that um, and uh, the role that companies like yours can play in helping to bridge those divides that do exist within our industry. Because the more I talk to people, both in the print and the digital world and, and different parts of the industry, it just, it seems like we have a lot to learn from each other and a lot of collaboration opportunities maybe being left on the table, just do the natural silos that form within the industry. Well, Dan, you know, up until two years ago, you know, before all this started, this was, you know, this, uh, the, the raw materials management, the shortages, the cost increases, all those things have dominated our conversations probably in the last year and a half to two years. Prior to that, um, and what's been overshadowed in that is the emergence of all this new technology that's available to us to be able to predent, produce and print very dynamic printed material. Um, we're at a point in time now where we're seeing capabilities. Our industry is historically one that hasn't changed dramatically, right? You know, you put ink on paper, you do this, 
But over the last couple of years, we have been able to invest in technology that can produce highly variable, high speed, content rich uh, materials that's really very affordable and very dynamic. And so it's, it's super exciting from my standpoint because it gives us so much capability to be able to offer our clients. Um, it's kind of the sky is the limit in messaging without adding additional cost. And so we're able to produce and we're able to consolidate multiple work centers to be able to do more things at one time. All that means is, is that it's gonna be less chance of error and be able to produce more in a shorter amount of time. And so, like I said, that's, that's been overshadowed because of all these other challenges we've been facing. But, um, you know, we invested heavily in uh, February of 2020 on a lot of new uh, high speed, high output, highly variable, and the quality that it can produce is remarkable. Uh, so it's an extremely exciting time and being able to communicate the capabilities to all of our clients was kind of the path we were on until we got kind of diverted onto another path, but it's still one that we need to continue to engage our clients with because the long-term success of the programs that we run for our clients are going to be based on responses. And the responses are going to drive higher with much more personalized content um, and things that maybe engage clients uh, or engage donors in uh, those. So, um, Quite honestly, we sit at kind of the sky's the limit. And I also tell clients, if you can dream it, we can do it. Um, because we now have those tools available to us that before were very clunky, very cumbersome, um, weren't high quality, and were very, uh, took a long time to produce and was expensive. So now uh, it's really, really remarkable where we're getting to as an industry and what we can provide our clients. And that's really the game changer there is is the um, reduction in in production time. So um, an example would be if an organization and we we all have so much more data on our donors than we used to do, especially if you are um, you know, tracking their activity on on websites or um, getting email surveys, things like that. I mean, we have the ability to personalize mail pieces based on the content that they're interacting with or downloading. Um, and this can all be done on a single run, right? Due to the power of variable printing. And I think a lot of um, a lot of the, the fundraisers who um, have access to this digital information or in charge of, of tracking it are not necessarily, uh, not necessarily aware of the power of variable printing and, and just how efficient it's become. Very efficient, and it's, um, and we're, we're able to do the high quality, highly variable at very, very high rates of speed. You know, before the limitation in my mind was we had capability to produce very highly variable content, but it wasn't at what I would call production output levels. It was very slow, it was costly, and now we're able to produce things so fast. And all that helps to do is make it more of affordable to, to say to a client, hey, use your data. You, you've got the data, leverage the data because we now can output it at a high rate of speed, keeping your cost down. Before it was, in my mind, large volume runs were cost prohibitive. Now it's it's mainline. You can, you know, you can run a few thousand or a few million. 
It just is super efficient. Um, it is the absolute way this industry is going to go. Um, and it's an exciting time from that standpoint. And um, from your from your three decades in, in the industry, I'm sure you've seen a lot of evolutions take place. Do you have advice for the industry at, as, as a whole? Because um, as we've become so fractured and so dynamic and, and so many different sectors, uh, how can we on the, the print or the direct mail side, how can we do a better job of helping to break down the silos that exist um, within our industry between different sectors? I think we've got to continue. And, and maybe we're learning more to, you know, with the advent of the raw material problems that we've got to communicate closer together. Before it was, here's the programs we want to run. It's just more of a handoff and here you go. Now I think we need to be able to communicate together better on what goals and outcomes look like and how we can help. That's what this digital technology really is affording us is to say, hey, you tell us what are the goals and outcomes you're trying to achieve? We can tell you where the variable data print, all the high speed output, where all this will impact you the most. And so um, long after this raw material thing settled, that's really, I see the future of our industry going is working so much closer together with our clients and helping them leverage all the information that they have for, uh, you know, you know, at the end of the day, we want to mail fewer, but we want to mail better. You know, whatever drives response um, for the lowest cost, to be honest with you. So that's that really needs to be a cooperative effort between us and our clients. Absolutely. And Dean, if listeners would like to get to know more about you or get in touch or get to know more about MWI Direct, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, we're on the web at MWI.com, um, MWIDirect.com. So just a Google search uh, will come up and um, we've got a whole staff of uh, well-trained and uh, capable salespeople who uh, work with all of our clients on a regular basis. And we would be very happy to entertain any questions. Uh, if there's a follow-up questions from this, I'm absolutely happy to answer those. So, um, you know, uh, if you want to, you know, give out the email address, I'd be happy to do that, Dan, um, because we're all in this together. So, you know, anything we can do to help each other um, and, and to help people achieve their marketing goals is what we're here for. Absolutely. And we will definitely link to your information in the show notes. And you're right, we are all in this together and the industry is uh, more interconnected than ever. So that communication and reaching out definitely is critical. Well, Dean, uh, thank you so much for being so generous with your time and sharing your knowledge and your passion with us. I know I've been, uh, I, I've learned a lot from talking to you and I know our listeners have as well. So we really appreciate you uh, taking the time and feel free to come back anytime uh, with any updates. Dan, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And, and hopefully, you know, again, this is just a way of putting the message out and communicating to the industry and um, trying to kind of deal the best we can with what we are being dealt. So I'm happy to participate anytime. Well, thanks a lot. Have a great day. All right. Thank you. Thank you.